There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's going down? everybody welcome to a brand new episode of what's going down here wherever you get your podcast my name is penny as always joined by finley martin finn how are you this well i was gonna say monday it's not monday it's tuesday <laughs> penny it's tuesday it's tuesday tuesday i mean you're on the ball today aren't you <laughs> well it's the the thing is you know you know it's like because we don't really do monday to friday because of the job that we do it's very difficult sometimes to remember what day of the week it is because we don't we don't we don't do the norm shifts. So but you are correct. As in, of course, Tuesday, the day we always do. What's No, I'm I'm doing all right, Kenny. Yes, since we last spoke, I uh, I um, I did the cover for the uh, the next issue of the magazine. Has that been? Yes, it's now it's now up at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. It's a belter of a cover with Adam Copeland. Who has made the jump? Made, made the jump. jump, yeah, yeah. Q&A, finished off the Eric Bischoff interview. So, uh, yeah, it's been a busy time since we last spoke, Kenny. And I've also, of course, in the meantime, have found time to watch SmackDown and Fastlane, which we're going to talk about today. Yes, we've had a chance to watch them. It's always weird when we cover uh, SmackDown and a PLE because, you know, everything on SmackDown is kind of building towards the PLE. But um, obviously, there was a lot of build-up on SmackDown for the tag team match with LA Knight and John Cena against Solo Scott and uh, Jimmy Uso. But there was also 
some Judgment Day interaction where Rhea Ripley tried to kind of, you know, make her presence known to Paul Heyman and talk about how she's the one that should be calling the shots, not Roman Reigns. What did you make of the dynamic of adding the Judgment Day and Rhea into this mix? Um, do you think this is going to lead to war games, Kenny? Looking ahead. I think it might. I think it might. So, I mean, I mean if you do do war games at Survivor Series, please let them only do one war games match. People will say, well, Finley, what about equality? No, we just want one of those matches on the show and it needs to be a lot shorter than it was last year. You know, yes, but I can see Bloodline Judgment Day. I mean, here on SmackDown, it seemed like they reached a truce. Um, I mean, Paul Heyman wasn't too, you know, he was, he was a bit unnerved when Rhea Ripley uh, demanded that Heyman acknowledge her. He wasn't keen on that, was he? No, he was. He was not very keen. But I think, I think that the 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 Bloodline stuff having the Judgment Day involved made it feel fresher than it's felt in months. Or weeks. I mean, I guess it's kind of since SummerSlam. I felt like there was a, a jolt into the storyline with this that I haven't felt for a while. Was it like putting new batteries in, Kenny? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was like we finally got those new Duracells in and everything's just firing off, firing all cylinders. So I, I really liked it. I thought you know, Rhea Ripley's been doing a great job. If they do a, a War Games at Survivor Seas, I would love in a fantasy world if Rhea could be in the match. But I don't think we're going to get that. No. But it would be good to see her involved in some way because I think she could definitely be helpful to that match. Yeah, I mean, the only way that could, the only way that would happen is if my prediction that Ava is being recruited by the bloodline, which is going to happen. But I mean, she's not ready for a match like that. She just isn't. So I'm not convinced she's ever going to be ready for wrestling. But I think she she talks well. She's obviously part of the family, and I think she can have a role in the bloodline and do, you know, interference, and she can do things. But I don't think she can do a actual match. Maybe, maybe in years to come, she'll get it. Maybe she'll work it out and become, you know, a high caliber wrestler. But you wouldn't want to call her up from NXT and put her in a match, you know, of that magnitude with that much pressure attached against Rhea Ripley. It's just. It's just not going to happen, is it? And nor should it. No, I mean, in, in an ideal world, Naomi slash Trinity would be available. And we could have her, because obviously she would be very apt to be in the bloodline, given that she is married to to Jimmy Uso. But obviously that's not going to happen, so we can only really, you know, fantasy book that. But yeah, I think, I mean, do you do you think they would do a three-way War games match like like some of like the like some of the nineties ones where we would have Cody, uh, Jay Uso, Sammy, and KO against the Bloodline against the Judgment Day. Well, I mean they could do, but I mean that's just too many people in the match, in my opinion. The only the only good thing you can say about that is with more people, it would probably move along a lot swifter, and it wouldn't drag as much because there would be people coming in. Probably not at two minute intervals, maybe at one minute intervals, because I mean, if it's two minute intervals, it would just take about an hour for maybe not an hour, but it would take like well over 40 minutes for that match to reach the point where everyone was in and let war games begin and, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
But I mean, yeah, I mean, if I mean, it would be, I mean, 12 people in the ring, you know, I mean, 10's enough. I mean, 12 or 15, that's too many people in the double ring cage. And, um, and also it just, it just becomes overcomplicated, I think, if you've got three teams in there or three yeah. squads in there. I mean, it's curious what they're going to do because Cody and JSO and Sammy and Kale kind of feel like part of the story as well. Yeah. So I don't really know what you do, but I mean, what you could do is just not have war games, but you know, that, that would be too kind <laughs> to us, Finn. Yeah. I mean, why not do a traditional Survivor Series match? There's a suggestion. I know. God, I mean, can you imagine the joy of just a traditional Survivor Series match and not having to deal with fucking war games? Yes. I mean, you know, it's going to be party hats and balloons. Certainly in this household. Yes. You know, ditch the war games for a year or maybe a decade. You know, bring it back in 10 years, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Or never bring it back. Yeah, or never bring just, it just back. Just never bring it back, ever. <laughs> and make us all happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that the the show closing segment that we had um, after the after you know it all led up to Ellie Knight and Jimmy Uso in the main event, which obviously didn't go too long. It was more of kind of a way for Solo to run in, do the DQ, and then we had this you know big segment where Cena runs out and he clears the ring, and then Heyman's trying to you know hold back Solo, and uh, then the Judgment Day come out with JD McDonough and Ripley shakes hands with Heyman, and then Cena and Night are kind of, you know, there's, they're, they're being outnumbered here by Judgment Day and the Bloodline. But then Jay Uso comes out and he joins Cena and Ellie Knight. Cody Rhodes music hits. Um, and then we get this big brawl and it just kind of, I, I saw someone say it felt very Attitude Era-esque. And I, I really, I thought it did. And it was it was a great segment to uh, send us into Fastlane. And it did a good job of protecting one of the worst performers in the company, John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did do. Yes, I mean, shame he was in the ring for so long at Fastlane, but we'll get to that shortly. We will. Um, people I mean, happy. yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it just felt like a star-studded angle, didn't it? At the end of the match, we. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad the match didn't have a finish. You know, I'm not usually a mad fan of you know DQ or count-out finishes, but on this occasion, it was absolutely the right you know outcome because no one should have done the job the night before their big match at Fastlane. That would have made no sense at all. Um, and then everyone came in. I mean, they said that Cody would be there and Jay was there as well, of course. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a big beat down uh, by uh, the, the faces beat down the heels, you know, the heels backed off. Poor JD McDonough took a proper pissed in from the good guys I mean, it was, you know, it, I mean, he didn't really have a particularly good weekend, did he? Let's be honest, Kenny. JD, I mean, very bad weekend all, all in. Yeah, he, he, didn't have a, he didn't have a stellar weekend. No, <laughs> not, not a great weekend. No, not a great weekend for G, JD. But I mean, things can only get better, let's be honest. Um, or, or possibly he might be released from his contract. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm sure that's not going to happen, JD. Stop worrying. Um, but yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was a really good ending to the... Um, to the show and uh, a really good push for Fastlane as well. Um, I remember before Payback, it just felt like Payback was an afterthought and there was like things occurring at SmackDown just before Payback that didn't really seem to have much of a bearing on the premium live event the following day. And this was um, the polar opposite of that, which was welcome. 
And it just felt like, yeah, this show existed to make us want to watch and to to make Fastlane seem like more and more of an exciting show, which is the way it should be. Yeah, and I think yeah, that that, that is the way it should be. Great, great segment. I mean, is there anything else? Obviously, the majority of our chat today is going to be on Fastlane. Is there anything else from SmackDown you want to give a mention to uh, before we move on to Fastlane itself? Uh, yeah, Dragon Lee. I mean, who um, so impressed management that he's been called up to the main roster. Um, he scored what I thought was a huge win, even though it's kind of a fluke. He scored a huge win over Austin Theory. Uh, Grayson Waller was at ringside, and then uh, Cameron Grimes turned up and distracted Theory. Um, and Lee scored the win with fluke roll up, of course. But I mean, a win's a win, right? And I thought this was really a good spot for Cameron Grimes as well, who we saw last week and hadn't seen like many, many weeks prior to last week since we since we previously saw him. So it feels like Cameron Grimes is back in the plans. Um, I've been a fan of his for many years, and I really think he's got a lot to offer WWE. Um, ne- never really thought that much of Dragon Lee, but I mean, he is a hell of a talent and the fans like him. Um, so, I mean, just shows you how wrong I was. And um, I didn't really fancy his chances on the main roster, but I mean, he got over immediately in that match with Dominic Mysterio on Raw. And uh, there's a connection there already. And hopefully Dragon Lee and Cameron Grimes will get to do something and not just, you know, be you know, jobbers for Theory and, and Waller. I imagine they probably will lose to them, but hopefully it will be a very competitive match. And, you know, Lee and Grimes will have a future after that feud runs its course. Um, not really sure if there's anything else on the show beyond that that deserves a mention. Maybe Charlotte Flair, I thought, looked like she was interested in the tag match, Charlotte Flair and Asuka. Um, and the, I love that I love that the, the level of praise that we've got to with Charlotte Flair is she looks interested. That's where we are. <laughs> you know, it's like with Rhonda. It's like they're going, oh, her, her eye makeup's not as bad this week. You know, yeah. this is the level we're at. But yeah, you're right. I don't think there's anything else on SmackDown that really is 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 worth our time because it's all going to lead into Fastlane, which is yes, like, sure. So yeah, well, you know, Flair pin Bailey uh, with natural selection. I, I actually thought that was a decent match. And uh, fans were actually behind Flair when she made the hot tag. Um, you know, I remember writing in my, I think it was my SummerSlam review, that Charlotte Flair is, as a as a baby face, is as cold as a dead fish. And, I mean, people were actually behind her here. So, um, you know, I'm not saying this is really going to lead to anything spectacular or, you know, it's going to be like a new day for Charlotte Flair. Um but, I mean, this is better than what she has been contributing to TV in recent months, I would say. Well, let's move on to uh, Fastlane itself. We opened the show with the undisputed tag team title match with Damian Priest and Finn Balor of Judgment Day, defending against Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso. This match went about 20 minutes. I thought it took a little while to get going, but the crowd were really into it. They were really behind it. We had lots of shenanigans involving all the members of the Judgment Day and JD McDonough. And we got a title change in the end from Cody and Jay Uso left in the belts. What did you think of the match and the result? Yeah, you're right. JD McDonough, as we were saying, had a bad weekend. Um, he cost uh, Priest and Bala the tag team belts when he accidentally drilled Priest with the money in the bank briefcase. Judgment Day were devastated by the title loss. Um, you know, this was high-powered, star-studded opener. You're right, it did take its sweet time to get going. Um, I think people were maybe slightly 
um, you know, jarred by just slightly. Well, I don't think they were anticipating this as the opener. I think they thought this was going to be like second from the top or even the main event of the show. So I, I think people were like, oh, we're not really quite sure if we're ready for this match yet. I think that might sound like a strange observation, observation, but I think that was part of the reason why people didn't immediately, you know, weren't immediately, you know, electrified for this matchup. And uh, just and, and and as we said, the pacing was fairly slow at the beginning, and we normally expect like you know all you know nonstop action from these lot. But instead, because it was the opener, no doubt, they didn't want to burn the crowd out in that first match because the, that's the last thing you want to do. Obviously, at a premium live event or a pay per view, is do too much in the opening match because people have got a foyer. You don't want to burn the crowd out in that first match. So, uh, yeah, I mean, some of it was yeah, kind of slow. There's chin locks and kind of slow. But, I mean, I think that's what was what was needed in this match. In some ways, Kenny, I sort of feel like maybe it should have gone on later. And maybe then they would have done more than they did. What do you think about that? In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think you're. I think you're right because I don't. I don't really think anything else on this show followed was able to follow this match. But in terms of the whole picture, you know the yeah. the stars, the interference, the the crowd. So yeah, I think there is something to the idea of, you know, if you're going to open with something like this, then everybody else in the show needs to be working to try and beat it. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. So no, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially after the way that SmackDown had ended the previous evening where the yeah. show closing angle communicated the message that, well, I know obviously Cena and Knight were involved in that as well, as were um, Jay and Solo. But, I mean, you sort of did get the impression from that show closing angle that maybe this would be the headline match. I mean, it did seem, like, overly ambitious to me to put Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura in the main event. I mean, I know it was for the world title and there's this old school of thought, well, the world title needs to be in the main event. No, to me, you put the match that's the biggest match on the show in the main event. That's the main event, not the match in which a certain title is defended. So I was also quite shocked to see Jay Uso and Cody Rhodes lift the belts in a pleasant way. I thought, and I don't don't know if you had a chance then to see them on the the post-show press conference. But they were Cody and Jay Uso were very funny. They were they had a few cocktails on the bus, so they were in the kind of giggly mode. Right. And they were. It's, it's worth watching before you know we can maybe talk about it Thursday. But it was very funny, very very funny. Um, 
And yeah, just, just really, you know, when you're kind of you're watching wrestlers and you kind of feel that like they're being they're being themselves a bit more than they usually are. Yeah, and you get Jay Uso and he's got these two belts and he cannot. He's just a bit too sauced to be able to hold them correctly, so they keep falling back. And then he's kind of you know, there's a guy, there's a guy who asks the question. He goes, "What age are you?" And the guy says, "35." And he goes, "You look 45." And then he says something nice with Jay Uso and he goes, "You're 21 by me. That's that's what you are. You're you're 21." <laughs> So there's, you know, there's, and then Triple H comes out after and goes, "Who was the guy that said he was 21?" And he, the guy puts his hand up, and Triple H goes, "You're definitely older than 35." And you just know, a funny thing that kind of came out of it. But I feel like Cody Rhodes and Jay so kind of stole the show in their match with the Judgment Day that opened the show, and they also stole the show in the press conference. So it's you know, Jay so has got to be very happy right now that his run on his own without the Bloodline is doing so well. Yeah, definitely. And and this rather scuppers our uh, prediction that Cody would be the one who would be traded to SmackDown for Jay. I mean, I yeah. guess he could be, but I mean, I mean, doesn't it wouldn't really make much sense because as tag team champions, they can appear on both both brands, can't they? So, yeah. so they can appear on any brand. I know so, Triple H is going to be on the, the season premiere of SmackDown this week, along with Roman Reigns. Yeah. I don't know if Triple H is going to have something to say about the trade or, or not, but you know, it, it's an interesting timing point for him to be on SmackDown. So we'll see if that comes it, to anything. Yeah, it is. And I think this is something that's almost like Becky Lynch's NXT women's title reign. It's, you know, a position that say, you know, value quality position for him, just as the women's title is for Becky Lynch. And, um, and it just keeps, keeps these people occupied um, until whatever's going to happen in 2024. So I think it did make sense for them to become tag team champions here. Um, and um, it, yeah, I mean, I know we'll be talking about this on Thursday. I know Michael Cole's quizzing Cody Rhodes about, you know, is this enough? You know, are you still going to finish your story? So, I mean, that's still, they've got that candle burning still. But I mean, this is something that occupies Cody for now and gives him, because we've been saying, haven't we, for quite some time, actually since SummerSlam, really, Kenny, that Cody has been a man without a, a role. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I mean, yeah, I'm curious to see what they do, but I think the him and I, I, yeah, Cody actually made a. Do you know what? I think it's worth before we when we talk on Thursday, we'll maybe talk a little bit about Cody and Jay at the press conference because All right, yeah. I think you know Cody gets asked about the story and finishing the story. And he has some interesting stuff to say, so I think we should save that for then, so we can okay. have, get a little bit of time. But um, let's move on to the next match. So we had Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits against Rey Mysterio, Santos Escobar. Initially, as a handicap match, but the mystery partner who Rey Mysterio had phoned after uh, the rest of the LWO were injured at the hands of Lashley and the Street Profits on SmackDown, the partner was Carlito, as we thought it would be. He came out to new music, which a lot of people are very uh, upset about because it wasn't particularly good music compared to his old one that people used to. Yeah. Uh, he came out near the end, just kind of did a couple of moves, got the backstabber on Montez Ford. Uh, what did you make of this and hopes for Carlito's run, I guess? Well, I mean, the thing is, he, he's, seen, he's teased this a few times, hasn't he? He's like, he had that appearance at Royal Rumble. Was that last year? Was 2021, it, I think it was. 2021. Yeah, the appearance there and he was in amazing shape and people were like, wow, this guy looks terrific. I mean, he looks looked better than he ever did in the 2000s. And then I believe they offered him a deal and he didn't want to return. And then he made appearance at Backlash, didn't he? 
yes, in Puerto Rico, along with Savio Vega, your friend and mine. Yeah, so he made an appearance there, and you know, obviously he was going to be over in you know his homeland. But it's like, well, this is wow. You know, the 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 audience are sending you a message here. They want to see you in WWE. They want to see more from you. And like, and then we didn't see anything from him again until he made this appearance here at Fastlane. So. Do we know if he has signed a contract? Do we know if he is returning? Or is this just another one-off? Well, apparently he did sign a contract back in July. And okay. he's, he's, he's been signed for a while. And the there was kind of reports that they didn't really know what they were going to do with him yet. So now they've, I guess they've decided on something for him on SmackDown to, to do with this LWO story. So, I mean, he he looks he looks like he's been to Holland and Barrett. And he's taking care of himself. Yeah. So, but I mean, he really hasn't aged, does he? No, he looks exactly the same. You know, he's. Just, I mean, and he looked really good at the running here, and people were behind him, and really, and everything he did looked good in the ring. Okay, it was only a few moves, um, but it did all look spot on. And um, I mean, he gave this match a lift. I mean, this match needed a lift, and he provided. He delivered, uh, just like Pizza Hut, Kenny. Oh. Just Nobody like, this, was the pizza, this was the Pizza Hut show. It's bombarded you know, with imagery from Pizza Hut. I don't never want to see the Pizza Hut logo again in my life. <laughs> it's funny because in the UK and in the US, if you ask a lot of people if they get fast food pizza, Pizza Hut is usually the bottom of the list. They're not the, you know, people tend to prefer Domino's or Papa John's or there's other pizza joints that tend to get the love. So maybe Pizza Hut just need this. They need their name to be everywhere so that people will eventually give them a try again. I mean, I, mean, I doubt it's going to work, but you know. I, I mean, I was, I just, I mean, I was just bloated on pizza <laughs> and I didn't even eat any. <laughs> I mean, probably the opposite that they, they were going for. But um... yeah, exactly the opposite effect to which Pizza Hut intended. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, I mean, even when, you know, they're not tucking into pizza at the announced desk, there's a little. Pizza Hut ad in the corner of the screen. It's there on like the you know illuminated barriers. It's there on the illuminated ring apron. It's there on the illuminated things up in the top of the arena. It's just just no escape from Pizza Hut. So yeah, I mean I, I want to see more from Kalito. I mean I thought it looked really good here, and this match was okay. I mean it couldn't follow the opener, but we've already said that nothing really did. And um, yeah, I mean let's see what happens next, Kenny. Yeah, let's, let's you know, I mean, the, the problem with Carlito is that for so often, this was, I think, part of the reason why he left in the first place, WWE, is that he always felt like the company never treated him, never took him seriously. You know, apart from that initial run, you know, in 2006, it would have been, wouldn't it? 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apart from that initial run, he was just never really treated with any respect and his matches would be caught or dropped and... He was just somebody that was never really seen as a priority. And I think he's probably, he probably, you know, realizes that that could happen again and his guard will be up. And I just hope that they use him properly and give him a fair shake this time. Uh, up next, we had the women's title on the line to uh, with a triple threat match, Eo Sky, Asuka and Charlotte Flair. They, you know, went pretty long here. They went about 17 minutes. And I thought the... The opening moment with Asuka using the mist and the closing sequence was excellent. But in the middle, I felt a bit underwhelmed. I'm curious how you felt watching this. 
Well, we should just mention that Jade Cargill showed the footage of Jade Cargill showing up backstage and Triple H met her. Let's just give that one a mention, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. They, they, apparently that had been on the kickoff show initially. They replayed it on the main show. So they're giving her the superstar treatment. You know, almost like if you're in AEW and your contract is coming up, this is what they could be doing for you. This is the the big sell, which is very smart. Yeah. Jade was wearing her, uh, you know, Marvel... DC uh, superhero outfit, so she looked like a million bucks. Yeah. Um, as for the match, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought there was some some of it was really good. There was a few uncomfortable pauses in the match, um, but I thought a lot of it looks looked like it had a lot of, a lot of snap. I mean, Flair looked animated. I mean, she seemed like she wanted to be there, and it just it felt like a big match between three people. Who are who are proper stars and who are real talents? I mean, I think it could have been better, um, but I mean, you know, I, I, you know, Bailey came out at the end, um, so you know there was some sloppiness there and stuff. But I, you know, I did like the finish. I mean, Charlotte hit the spear on Asuka. You know, that was a close near fall there, um, and then Sky moonsaulted Flair as Flair applied the figure for, figure eight, sorry, on Asuka. Um, and then, uh, you know, Asuka was tapping out to the figure eight, but the referee didn't see it because the referee was tied up with Bailey and then Skype in Flair. So, you know, you had like, you know, there was some shenanigans there at the finish. It wasn't a clean pin uh, by any means. But I mean, it was actually quite refreshing to see Flair do the job, though, wasn't it, Kenny? Yeah, very, very rare to see her do the job. Um but yeah, I, this was a decent match. I think there was just maybe an expectation that if you had Asuka, Eosky and Charlotte Flair and they were all on, you know, top of their game, this would have been like a, a lot better just in terms of how, how it would have clicked. But it didn't feel like it clicked as much as I maybe hoped that it would. But The fly but, in the ointment, Kenny. Yep. Charlotte Flair should have been the heel. Wrestling two faces. It's the story that we tell every month. She is determined to be a baby face and she is not a good one. Yeah. If she was the heel here and she was facing Asuka and Eosky, who were both natural baby faces, it would have been a hell of a lot better. I know it was a good match, but I think it would have been a lot better had she been the heel. Now, Finn, I don't want to put pressure on you here, right? That's not what we're here to do. But after Pat McAfee came out here... We had the tag match with John Cena and Elliot Nett against Solo Sokoa and Jimmy Uso. And I've seen several people on the Inside the Ropes community say that they can't wait to hear your analysis of John Cena's performance in this tag team match. His yeah. first winning appearance, his first winning, his first victory, sorry, first winning, what the hell am I talking about? His first victory since 2018. Or 2019, uh, I think it was Super Showdown. He did a tag match, Bobby Lashley against Elias and Kevin Owens. I think it was his last uh, victory in WWE. That was the Australia one when he did the, um, the, did punch. the you know, he did the martial arts, that new martial arts move that he added to his repertoire. <laughs> oh, Have we seen that since? I'm not sure if we've seen that since. You got to know it's you got to know it's really bad if even WWE are going John do that again. Just, yeah. just leave that one out. But people are very, very excited to hear what you think of John Cena's performance here, as am I, Finn. So with no pressure, tell us what you think. Well, I mean, LA Knight reckoned it was the biggest match of his life. So, I mean, he he said all the right things here. 
I mean, Cena was the setup man for LA Knight. So let's give Cena some credit for that. Okay. You know, he was the one who took all the bumps. You know, he was the one who sold. He was the one who eventually made the hot tag to LA Knight. You know, and, and it was LA Knight who scored the pin on Jay after the BFT. So, I mean, on paper, Kenny, <laughs> this match was a success. Right. But in the well, ring. I mean, try telling that to anyone who watched it. <laughs> I mean, the moment where he screamed at Solo Sokoa several times. Oh, later in the match, he was yelling out spots and he wasn't doing it at the beginning. And he hasn't really been doing that since he returned. I mean, I know he hasn't had many matches, but I mean, that spot calling that he was notorious for, you know, up until, well, probably, wait, obviously he didn't do it in the Roman Reigns match because Reigns, that was a Reigns match. And Reigns controlled that match. It was very obvious that Reigns was calling that. And it was so obvious because you didn't hear Reigns calling it because you never hear him calling spots. But Cena late in this match was yelling stuff out, just like the bad old days. And it was just egregious, Kenny. Egregious is the word. I mean, the thing is, people give Hulk Hogan <clears throat> a lot of crap, as they should for some of the things that he did back in the day. You know, you've laid intimate points when it was deserved. Yeah. But I don't know if I've ever heard Hulk Hogan call a spot. Ever. And my I, I can't think of a time, maybe there is a few, maybe there's a handful that you can find if you really go through his repertoire. But with Cena, it's just it's embarrassing. Oh I mean this, Cena I mean he was overselling. And he like, overselling on the expressions, just you know, new levels of ham. You know, it's like you know, it's like <laughs> butchers. There was like less ham in a butchers. But the thing is, so Cena, and again, I'm not expecting you to watch the whole thing, Finn, but Cena and LA Knight were at the press conference, the post-show press conference, and right. Cena came out, and he was so likable. He was so good in that press conference. He said, you know, I don't think that I've quite got it anymore in the ring, and I need to do some kind of, well, he didn't say exactly that, but that was what he was getting at, and he was saying, you know, I need to figure out what I need to do to still be able to perform at a level that's acceptable to everyone. So, you know, he was like very kind of, humble and very genuine and quite vulnerable and he was putting over Ellie Knight and he was interacting with the, the, the media and he was great I thought yeah. where's this guy to leave pantomime Lily Savage at home and give us that guy because that guy oh. is good I mean at one point Cena did this strange dance in the <laughs> ring after Sokoa nailed him with a headbutt I had to watch that three times <laughs> It's like he was doing like these dabbing. Was he, was he like, do you think, you know, dancing with the stars is next? Well, no, here, here's Constantly. my question. I have a theory, right? You said in this podcast a while ago, we know that John Cena follows half a million people on Twitter, including me. He follows a lot of people, does John. Do you think that John heard you say, I'm not going to allow John Cena to upset me anymore? And John Cena said, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> but he but he hasn't won because no, he's not won. He's not won. You know, I refuse but, to allow Cena to bother me anymore. But he's, me, but he's just he's, you know, in a way he's harmless because <laughs> he, he can't cause the damage that he used to be able to inflict upon WWE. Yeah. And generally, you know, as we saw here, Knight scored the pin. So this wasn't the Cena show, even though he wrestled most of the match. 
Um, he, he's not the guy that he once was, so he can't get to me like he used to. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm fine. I, I'm okay, John. You know, bring it on, mate. I'm <laughs> But I mean, at one point in the match, right? So seeing as they're yelling out instructions to Sokoa, which I'm just thinking, don't do that. No, just stop. And he's continued to do it. You can see him doing it. You can hear him doing it. You can see him doing it. And then at one point, he starts doing this desperate crawl, like he was in the swimming baths. And he was just like, no, no, it's not water. It's a ring canvas. (laughs) And he's doing this desperate crawl across the ring to try and make the tag tonight. And uh, about it, of course, it was thwarted. So the, the punishment continued, you know, not only for Cena, but for us, the viewers. And eventually he did make the hot tag. But I mean, I mean, some of Cena's bumps and he's overacting. I mean, it's just, it's not so much excruciating. I mean, it used to be. I, I refuse to allow it. I mean, I did use the word egregious before. Okay, it kind of is, but in a humorous way. Mm-hmm. It's more sort of, it's more just absurd now rather than, uh, you know, deeply, you know, irritating and, and something that's going to leave me seething and, you know, livid and raging, you know. <laughs> it's more just more a bit of a comedy show now we see. You know? But I mean, yeah, I mean, afterwards... You know, Knight pinned Jay, and then afterwards, Cena was going to congratulate Knight, but instead, you know, Knight turned it around, and he congratulated Cena and held his hand up, and Cena bounced around like a little kid in the ring, didn't he? It was as if he scored his first win of his career. It was, yeah. He's just, you would never believe, if you didn't know, that he was, like, he's basically talked about in, in the same conversation as, like, Hogan and The Rock and Austin. And all these major stars, and you think none of them would come across like such a big ham. No. Even like when Hogan was doing Mr. America, when he was deliberately supposed to be ham, he wasn't as hammy as Cena. No. So, no. anyway, yeah, but you're, I mean, at least Daily Knight got the win here. You yeah. Know, he ca- carries himself like a star. He wasn't letting any of this get on him as he should. I mean, the bloodline. Yeah could argue it's not great for them to be involved with Cena, but at least, I mean, hopefully this SAG after strike is, is up and Cena can head back to the movies. <laughs> um, I mean, there uh, can't be many more weeks of it now, surely. Oh, I mean, this should be a reason for them to hurry negotiations, more John Cena matches. Yeah, yeah, just speed it up. You know, John, we've decided that, you know, you're finishing up early. Yeah, if only. You um, can go back and learn some more Mandarin. And ironically, they kind of left the the main event as maybe the least interesting match on the show in terms of, you know, what was going to happen. But, I mean, no, that's, that's unfair. I mean, it's more interesting than the Rey Mysterio Santos against Lash in the Street Profits, but everything else kind of felt like they had more going for it. So, yeah. Rollins and Nakamura, last man standing match, they go like half an hour. They And they really worked hard to try and do something special. The crowd really did eat it up, but what did you make? They had a big task going into this to try and deliver. Yeah, they did. We should just mention that um, one of Shane McMahon's offspring was in the crowd, right? Declan McMahon. Declan, who was famous in the opening to WrestleMania 20 when Vince and Shane were holding him as a baby. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah that sent a chill down my spine. <laughs> you know, what could this mean? You know, I think he's isn't he like doing well in football? I think he said. 
Yes. I mean, well, look, hopefully he'll continue to do well in football. Yeah, hopefully he will. But I mean, you know, the weird thing is now, I mean, we'll get to it on Thursday. Apparently, Vince McMahon is no longer involved day-to-day with WWE creative. So is Triple H going to want to push Declan? I guess we'll see. Nah, I wouldn't have thought so. Nah, sorry, sorry. I can't see it. Uh, but yeah, the last uh, last man standing match between Rollins and Nakamura. I mean, obviously no DQ, so that meant they could use all the props and go all over the place, which they did. You know, there was nunchuckers, uh, table step ladder, bin, candlestick. You know, they fought into the crowd. Um, at one point, Nakamura used a low blow and knocked Rollins off like a raised seating section onto it's like a padded ledge. They actually did a really good job of shooting that. So mm-hmm. it looked, you know, you imagined that it was far worse than it actually was. You know, I, I always think about the uh, the replay at WrestleMania 17, Undertaker, Triple H, Kenny with the crash mat, yep. which you saw on the replay. Yeah, no, I no, I do. I mean, all these all these spots are designed <clears throat> to just look good. That's the, the whole point. Yeah. I mean, this one did look really good, even if you did, you know, ignore the stupid fan who took a video of another angle of it to try and make it look dumb. Basically, oh, so, you know, there was that one last year or the year before where Chris Jericho took that pretty impressive bump at Blood and Guts. And, you know, for a guy his age to do that bump took a lot. And But unfortunately, the way it was filmed kind of made it look really crap. <laughs> Whereas, you know, with this, is they were trying to make sure that there was no hint of you seeing the crash mat, which from seen on TV, there was no hint of it. So they did a good yeah, job. That, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was well done. I mean, of course, Nakamura worked on the back, on Rollins' back. That was the whole story of the match, that Rollins has the back injury. Um, and, um, you know, he blew the red mist in Rollins' face as they were both on a stepladder. And then he shoved Rollins off off uh, the stepladder and onto the announce desk, onto and through the announce desk, actually. That was a really good spot, really good stunt there. Uh, Rollins got up on nine. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of moments there where Rollins just beat the ten count, you know. And you know, I think the, one of the really good ones was Rollins was kinsashed through a table in the corner of the ring, but he then moved his body round so his feet touched the floor at ringside. And even though he, you know, was too devastated to stand up under his own power it still meant that he wasn't beaten and the match continued. Um, and in the end, he ended up in the crowd. Rollins did the uh, Falcon Arrow on Nakamura through two tables. There's loads of padding there. It was clearly all set for the finish. I mean, the ending just felt a little bit flat. I think they were out there just too long, and I don't think this should have been the main event. I think if this had gone on earlier, I think it would have been better received than it was. I think he was just overly ambitious to imagine that these two could close the show in a match that we knew Seth Rollins was going to win. Yeah, I think everything was kind of working against it. The storyline was not believable because even though Nakamura has been doing really good work, he is not believable to defeat Rollins. No. It was going against him because I think if this had opened the show, that may have actually been a great spot for it because yeah. people are really up for it. I think also the fact that, uh, you know, this is one of those things where we know when you know when a champion is having that, that like two, three match pay-per-view series to just bide time. And it felt like bide time. So it was uh and then yeah, they, they were out there too long. I just don't think anybody's gonna go back and watch this, which is a shame because they did work really hard. Yeah. But yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, you, when it clicks, you can you can do a lot when it when it's not clicking, 
you kind of have to work 10 times as hard to be half as good, which is a shame. But um, yeah. as we'll talk about on Thursday, there are bigger and better things on the horizon for Seth Rollins, which we will get to. So yes. overall, I think for me, Fastlane kind of is similar to Payback, that it was a not a throwaway show. It was a decent show. But I think we were kind of spoiled by the first seven or eight pay-per-views of the year that were so, you know, amazing. Essential. Yeah. Yes, that's the essential. word. Essential. That's the word. This was not this was not essential. You didn't yep. really need to see it, did you? No. And because we get Crown Joe and Survivor Series come up, that's when the big stuff's gonna happen. So we're we're kind of in the holding pattern here. But um but listen, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll talk we'll talk Raw, we'll talk the press conference, we'll talk um the Vince McMahon no longer being in charge of creative what we think that could mean, and much, much more. Uh, and we're also recording something quite fun on Thursday afternoon in in honour of our six-year anniversary. Only six months late, but we're there. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> That's it. Maybe we, we, should, maybe we should just be on the safe side record our seventh anniversary celebration <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, get out of the way. Uh, but we'll be there. We hope you'll join us. Patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes where you can get all these podcasts for uh, ad-free plus bonus stuff. There's daily content that goes up and uh, there's lots of good stuff over there. So I hope you check it out. And InsideTheRopesMagazine.com can pre-order issue 38. that has Adam Copeland on the cover. Uh, I've been proofing part of it today. It's a belter of an issue. We've got an Eric Bischoff interview. Loads of good stuff in there. An article on who's the greatest IC champ of all time and looking at the contenders. Impact 1000 gets featured celebrating Impact's milestone of a thousand episodes and lots more so do check that out please Um, yes that is on sale on october 26th yes right before halloween so go check that out so thank you for all your support everybody and we'll talk to you soon Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.